Hey guys, my name's James. Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by makemymortgage.co.uk. They're a UK-based mortgage advice and brokering service that have a great reputation for getting people on the ladder, remortgaging, buy-to-lets, and much more. Go check them out by going to makemymortgage.co.uk forward slash podcast. Now let's get into today's show. Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I'm your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast. And if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Okay, guys. So welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. This episode is uh, something a little bit different. Me and Juliet has decided that we're going to be doing more episodes. And by that, they're going to be a little bit shorter a little bit different, and they're going to be called Quick Pod episodes. Um, so, Juliet, how are you? Good. How are you doing, James? Good, good. We're just going to see how this goes, right? But we're going to talk about um, it's not going to be rigid. It's, we've got no paperwork here. We're just literally going to have a chat. Um, and it's going to be designed in any, any which way we want to do it, really. Like, so if, um, Julia has uh, been working on projects, then we're going to hear from her about the challenges that she's having and all of the exciting things that happen on the projects that she's doing. And with myself, the same thing. I've got a company in London. So if there are any projects that we've got, um, that's actually driving my, driving me crazy or something that I really like, a design that we're going to be implementing, something like that, then we're actually going to be telling you about it. And, uh, hopefully we're going to be changing these into some YouTube, um, videos as well. So you'd be able to see images of the designs and what, and really understand what we're, what we're trying to say and talk about. Um, and on today's topic, I think we're just going to hear from Julia. Uh, she's got a bit of a story on a project that she's up to right now. And then I'm going to have a little say about procurement and why it's so important. So Julia, let's start with you. Hey, James. Actually, this is the, um, I'm so happy to be talking to you right now because I literally just got off the phone with, uh, my partner here in the U S and, um, it's a project. It's a small project. We are just rearranging the kitchen, just internal. We're not adding any square footage, but we completely ripped off the front porch and we're redoing it because the front porch, the, what was not, what was then existing at the beginning of the project, you know, was already in addition to the original home. Mm. And quite frankly, it was just really badly done. It was, <laughs> it was ugly. And so we ripped it off. Um, it, it was a historic home and they came to us asking for a historically sensitive, um, addition, you know, to make it actually match, you know, the home, make it sympathetic. And so, you know, we tried to work our magic or, you know, what we like to think of as our magic 
And um, it, there's so many things about this project that, that are really exciting. Like one, they actually went for the high-end windows. Not like, I don't mean just in terms of the price tag for the price tag, but um, you know when you say windows, it's quality, but it's also a pet peeve of mine is when you are walking down the street and you see windows and then there's like the divided lights, you know, when it's like the one big window sash and then it's supposed to be divided into smaller bits. Mm -hmm. It's when you can see that those divisions happen between the two panes of glass, you know, and it's just that to me is just a sad have you not seen that? You do not. Do you, do you know what I'm talking Probably. about? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to look a little bit more now. But yeah, um, I get what you mean. And so, so like, if customers were talking about this, like, if listeners were were thinking about this now, like, what, what, how can they look at this? What they should, what they should be looking for if it was something better quality? What's the big right. difference? Well, what um, I believe what they're called for most window companies, the higher end ones, what we're talking about is that they're actually called di- true divided lights. Okay. They're not true divided lights because, um, you know, there's energy code these days. So the, the windows are always made up of um, two sandwich pieces of glass, usually with like argon or some other gas in between so that the, the energy transfer does not happen. And so, you know, when it's hot outside, the hot stays outside or when it's, yeah. you know, et cetera. So, there's always a spacer between the two panes of glass, mm-hmm. but sometimes that spacer, they make it white. And so that actually forms the divisions into different quote unquote panes of glass. Yeah. But in the true divided light, you'll have like a, either a wood profile or I'm mean, an extruded aluminum profile actually sitting on top of the glass. So when you're standing on the outside and looking at it, like the, it looks like the lights are truly different panes. But when, for the cheaper ones, you know, you can see your reflection is uninterrupted and you see this sort of floating piece of vinyl in between the panes of glass. And you can always tell because, you know, glass has a slight color to it. Yeah. So it's supposed to be white, but it looks slightly blue or greeny like that. But anyway, so like the project has tons of really beautiful details like that. They did a real cedar roof for the porch, all these beautiful details. Yeah. So, but, and this... (laughs) This happens on so many projects. It's, it amazes me because I can't tell you how many elevations and deep. There's an elevation drawing. There's a section drawing. There's a detail drawing. So there's three drawings for this one detail that we're trying to get. And in, and in every single drawing, we have in bold arrows pointing to the shaft of the column and then the beam above it and say, align, align the beam above your column with the face of the column. And that never, like for the love of God, it <laughs> never happens. And it's not a big deal, sort of. <laughs> if you don't, if you're not well-versed in architecture, especially like vernacular, traditional classical architecture, mm. you'd never notice it. But right. to those in the know, this will drive you freaking crazy. And it drives me freaking crazy. It's, it's, it's kind of like... Um when you do a project, like for, from, from my side, if, 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 when I was doing a project and I could notice that, that, that there was something that was really annoying. And I always used to point it out. I always used to say like, you know, yeah, so you, you see this bit now, now do you see what I mean when like you've now chosen this and we're doing it this way and this is what it's going to look like, whereas it would look like before. And they're like, yeah, I wouldn't have noticed if you didn't tell me. And, and I'm like, <laughs> I know, 
But do you see it now? And they still don't see it. So I think it is. It's just now with the trained, uh, trained eye, you know. So you have to, and because you see it and, and you know what to look out for and what annoys you, it's difficult, yeah, to, to brush yeah. it off, to, to close your eyes. It's, and I, I truly do believe that even if you don't, even if you're not trained in architecture, if you're not well-versed in these things, the aggregate of all these small details really do make a difference in the end. And so it's like, it's like going to a fancy restaurant. Like I don't know all the particularities that went into making a dish great instead of just good, but you can always taste the difference. Yeah. I don't have to be well-versed in like molecular gastronomy to understand that when I go to those restaurants, like there's a whole other level of care and preparation and thought that goes into it, which makes it, Awesome. Which, which makes it beyond anything I could do at home. Absolutely. Then, yeah. So I think it's the same thing. So those details, if even if you can't personally articulate it, you know, the difference, you still experience the difference. But anyway, it's, um, I want to ask you because every single time we go back on site and we point it out to the contractor, the contractor's like, well, how do you flash it? Cause it's just that little, it's just like an inch and a half difference between the column capital, which means all the little moldings at the top of a column, and then to the beam. Because the beam is, you know, it's going to be set back from that trim profile of the capital. And then there's the column. Yeah. And then to me, I don't know why it's so hard for a contractor to figure out how to flash that. Because there's a number there's a there's a there's a many different products out there in the market to flash different conditions and materials. So Right. Am I crazy? I, no, well, I, I don't think it's that they don't know how to do it. I think you're probably coming into the point of where they, they don't want to do it. So like, that's, that's what makes it so annoying. Yeah, it, it is. It's that it's like, um, you'd, they'd rather spend uh, more time arguing the fact that it can't be done when it probably can be done. Um, and it just takes a little bit more fault into it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, can we talk a little bit more about the detail side of things? About, sure. What, what um, do you want to talk about? Tell me, when you were working with your clients, and you, you just mentioned at the beginning that um, you were happy that they chose the better quality. Mm-hmm. How much effort do you feel you needed to put in to, to help that decision-making? For this particular client, we actually were not a part of the shop review process Okay. okay. because um, this project is actually not local to either myself or my partner. Right. Okay. So uh, the con- I think we got really lucky in the sense of that this particular client, um, one, could afford it, two, saw how big, saw or knew how big of an impact it would make. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, so there's, I don't, this is the other thing. I'm not, I don't think it's hard to explain to clients the huge sort of translation act that happens between a set of drawings and what actually happens on site Mm. for very high end projects. If you're lucky to be part of those, what you draw is what actually happens on site. Or if it can't happen exactly as you drew it, you get a phone call. And so I used to get phone calls from, there'd be one project. I'd I'd handle maybe two, maximum three, but like not for very long projects at the very high end because they are calling you 
two, three, four, five times a day because, you know, things change on site. And so, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So, but for some of the projects where, you know, it's more of, you know, budgets, a sensitive item, a lot of it is actually left up to the contractor. And so you're, it's up to the contractor to decide if they want to call us that, and they usually don't because guess what? We have ideas and they usually <laughs> take more time to do. So, um, but yeah, for this client, we just got lucky, but for other clients, we will really emphasize like we really need these doors or we really need. How, so how, how far do you go? Do you, so you show the drawings, you probably show a website, you probably show spec reviews, yeah. quality, like, but mm-hmm. do you go as far as getting samples and like getting them to physically see it? A lot of times. Yeah. Especially for, um, like for interiors, like yeah. the world of interiors is like all samples. I feel like yeah, always you get, you get wood samples. You get a sample of this stain, you get a sample of that stain, you get a sample of that stain on a different wood. Like yeah. here's, here's the tile with this grout. Here's the tile with that grout. I mean, it's, there's a lot of samples. It's harder for other, like for exterior products. Mm. Um, if you're lucky enough, if you live in a big enough city or if you have like a, the suppliers close by, you can go to a showroom and then you can actually see the different colors because online it's always, because one, your computer and your computer screen, however, that's calibrated in terms of the colors. Yeah. And then um, photos. I mean, every single camera handles the colors differently. And of course it's, yeah. So it's really hard to get a handle of colors online. So if you're lucky, you can actually go see the windows or the doors or the roof or exterior stone. You can see those for real, but almost everything has, um, almost every single project you can get samples of. I feel like mm-hmm. even windows, they'll send you little tiny chips being like, this is what the dark green looks like. This is what the yeah. almond color looks like. So tell us something else about your week. Like what else has happened in your week that has been like, um, have you had anything that's been a, like a high five moment where you've just gone? Yeah. Like apart from this, the choice of the. High five moment is we, there's a certain project we're working on right now. We're working with a developer. Uh-huh. So it's going to be a whole new subdivision of homes. Nice. And we are currently designing the clubhouse right now. Beautiful. And, um, this particular developer actually loves um, English architecture. And so in the beginning, initial meetings, he sat down and showed us a ton of pictures from like the Cotswolds area. Ah. He was like, I want this. And we're like, okay. I w- <laughs> Mentally, I was like, okay. Only because everyone says that to us in the beginning. Not everyone, but like when people come with those pictures. And then once we kind of show those details to a contractor because you know, the cost walls, there's like no eaves on yeah. any of the buildings. And then especially like in Utah where there's heavy snow, like mm. that just doesn't fly. Everyone's like, no, like we can't build like, no, like what? You're crazy. Yeah. So almost always details like that, that I think again, is the details that even if you don't know, like part of, part of your unconscious mind registers it and kind of figures out that's not quite right. I can't tell you why, but it's not quite right. Anyway, but 
Right now, it's actually really fun because we're still in the design development stage. And then now, but also because, you know, we're just, the developer is just opening the subdivision. And so we are actually getting, um, like, really good renderings done of the entire clubhouse. And it's it's a great complex because there's going to be a sunken tennis court. There's going to be, like, a little creek running through it. And then there's going to be, you know, the... big hot tub with the infinity edge and then the pool and there's going to be off to the other side. There's going to be this huge, I mean, we need it for like retention, detention on the lot, yeah, but yeah, yeah. have this huge water feature. And then we're going to build in a little pier or a beach so you can launch kayaks from there. And so it sounds a bit like Soho housey. It's pretty much, if you think of Soho's the farmhouse, it's kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so right now we, we got preliminary renderings back where we sort of get to start tweaking the color of the stone, the finishes, and it just looks awesome. So it's so exciting. So even like even me as a professional, like I know what things things should look like, and I know how to select the materials, even though everything's just in black and white on my screen. Yeah. Still, that moment when you first see it, like with light and shadow and the landscape and reflections, and it all comes together, you're just like, wow, that is freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. When things do come together, every time my designers um, start working on something, I'm always in the background. I'm watching the whole project flow. And when it gets to that, that's my most favorite bit. It's actually seeing those renders and seeing all that work go into it and what it now could look like, you know, and it's, I think it's, it's really, the clients are always happy all the way through. They're, they're asking a thousand questions, but they're going through it. And you see, like I see when they type how happy they are in actually seeing that render, because finally all of the talk has now become almost reality, virtual reality. Yeah. 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 It is almost like an exercise of, because I understand that it's, I mean, even for, for me, it's such a moment of awe, almost to be like, oh my, oh my, one, it's like, oh my God, you're such a good renderer. Like, <laughs> like you're good, at, you're really good at what you do. Yeah. And then two, it's just, I mean, to, it's just amazing to see something, even if it's just virtual reality to like, quote unquote, come to life. Mm. And even, so even the difference from, as the person who sat there and designed the whole thing, and it finally comes to life and the huge difference it makes for me, I can only imagine how much more of a leap it is for the client who's not used to seeing things only in black and white and filling in the details on their own. Yeah. So it's, it kind of reminded me of being like, wow, we have to thank ourselves for having such great clients because it's, it's almost like blind trust in some ways to be like, don't worry, this will look good. Please trust me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I think whilst we're on the topic of uh, renders, um, probably there's probably a listener out there that's that's thinking about taking on a designer and thinking about buying a design package or doing these renders just to see what their house is going to look like. Um, but there's different types of quality in terms of render, right? So oh, you could spend six hours on a render and the cost of that is quite a lot. But sometimes you can actually, it doesn't need to be super perfect just so that you can, you can see the colors. Um, but then it can be a lot cheaper at the other end. So just in case anyone is thinking about, or they've got pricing, 
and they're thinking, Jesus, you know, like a, re- a bathroom render for a thousand. Are you serious? You know, like it can actually be half that sometimes. It can. Yeah. And it's, I but mean, for, you can for, always for, start, yes. you can always start low with the rendering. Yeah, you can. Continue to add, you can go back and forth because I mean, everything starts off on, you know, their side, the renderer side with just the massing. And then you slowly add materials and you add colors and then you add lighting. And so every, every single, at any one of those points, you can say, stop, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like for the, for the project that you've been doing, because it's, it's a, it's, it's a big clubhouse, it's a commercial project. Um, you know, so there's definitely going to be a lot more money behind it to do something like that. Like, and they're going to want to see real high visualizations for that kind of thing, but it not necessarily needs to be the same for like a, a house. Exactly. Like in this very particular case, because we are working with a developer, you know, and this is going to be new subdivision. So everything that we're doing now will, is going to more than pay for itself and marketing materials. And so, and also again, this is like very high quality, like photorealistic rendering. You don't, you don't need like super photorealistic rendering in order for you to get to the point to understand like, will I like this or not? Yeah. But if you did, then the renders can literally look so real. Yes. If you get a good person, (laughs) they can really look like a photo. Literally. Definitely. I've shown my husband some renders and he's like, and I, he was like, Oh, where's that? I'm like, no, this is like, we haven't built it yet. He's like, no, you're lying. And I'm like, no, I'm not lying. Like our renderer guy did this. Yeah. Yeah. So how long has it taken so far to, for the whole um, part that you're involved in? The, which part, the rendering part or for, for, for the, from the beginning, how's it, how since you've been on the project? A couple of years. Yeah. Hey guys, it's James. Getting on the property ladder these days can be really, really tough. And with all of the advice on the internet, how can you be sure that you're getting the right advice? The guys at MakeMyMortgage.co.uk are super amazing. They're friendly and they offer down-to-earth advice. But most important, they offer a wide range of lending options. So if you're planning to buy your first home, buy to let, or just flip a property, MakeMyMortgage.co.uk are the ones for you. For your free consultation, go to makemymortgage.co.uk forward slash podcast. Now let's get back to today's show. Large scale projects take a long, long time. And so we've been talking with this particular developer. I mean, I can tell you right now, this project is, it's, we're at the end of 2018. This project is in our 2016 folder. (laughs) So, because, you know, it, just in terms of buying the land, first of all, searching for the land for the developer. Yeah. And then we're involved in that because, you know, if it's a potential uh, plot, okay. yeah. it's a pot- potential plot, we look at them and help them site plan, see if it's a good fit for them or not. Mm-hmm. But then, um, then there's the actual process of purchasing it, which is a whole other bag of beans. Yeah. Then after that, there's the actual purchasing escrow, that whole process. And then after that, you know, they bought one piece of land, but then they have to parcel it out and go and get all these different lots surveyed, recorded, civil engineering for the, like, the streets, the roads, like all that has to be. So that takes a long, long time. And then, and it also kind of depends on the developer, one, how 
developers have different scales. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked with some developers who are like very big developer outfits and they have their team in place and things run like clockwork. And then there's, this is a smaller project though. And so he doesn't have his ready to go, you know, every single guy. And so it's, um, it's taken a little longer just because it's, you know, it's a smaller shop running yeah. you know, quite a large project. Mm. Okay. But the active design phase, again, that's even hard to say because it'll that's be active for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be active for a while and then they'll think about it and they'll come back to us like literally six months later being like, okay, let's start designing this again. We're like, okay. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, that's a good question. Like I'd have to go back and look through our invoices to see like how many actual quote unquote design hours went into this, but. Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> I, like you're right. Like let's not, I, I'm having a good day. Let's not look into that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, cool. What's, um, how does the procurement, like, how does that work within America or where you, where you are? Again, very different depending on the project, the size of the project, and who the contractor is. Mm. And sometimes on who the client is. Um, like, I have a very good friend who works out in L.A., and she is very involved in the procurement process, which means that she's very involved in going out, finding the materials, sometimes buying the materials. She um, talks to all the suppliers to make sure that things are coming in, you know, on schedule yeah. and they can be installed. Um, generally, as the architect, I am not involved in that. Yeah. If anything, we take cues from the contractor because the contractor will sort of have, you know, their preferred window supplier, their door supplier, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. the ones that let us know the lead times. And then um, there's usually a big flurry of activity <clears throat> right before like a big window order goes in be like, Oh wait, we were thinking about doing this. No, wait, we decided that we want these windows instead. Like, can you draw them in? Do they fit? Like a whole bunch of um, changes. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small happen then. Yeah. Then, um, so yeah, we actually usually take the cues from the contractor. I do feel like interior designers, when it's things that go inside the home, they're more like tile. Every, yeah, yeah. Sometimes clients can even take care of that themselves. But so, this, is, this, this is my point, yeah, because I would like to talk about this and just get your opinion on it. It's something that we implemented about a year ago to add it on as a service, just as an added bolt on. It's not something that you're obliged to take on, but we, we, we would offer it because the reason why I brought it in was because if we've got our designers that are already introducing the products, recommending the products, talking with the suppliers, um, and, uh, deciphering what kind of model style, texture, color, whatever needs to go in that home, and then you literally go, here you go. Mm-hmm. You, you buy all of this to the customer who is not educated in interior design, doesn't really know right. the products or the models or anything like that. Um, give me a second. Let me get settled. Okay. So 
as we're going to be keeping this real with the quick pods kind of style, yeah. um, I was literally just like had to go there because my baby son was crying. So that wasn't cool, but um, sorted now. Anyway, let's talk about procurement. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was saying that like we went through, we decided that we were going to create this procurement service within us, within our company about a year ago because um, we had customers saying, look, you know, uh, you want us to buy all of the products, but the designer has chosen them. They've chosen them because of their knowledge and everything else. And it's just a, just a bit of a, you know, it's just a bit difficult and challenging for us to buy them. But on the other hand, we're having, we, 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 when we started the procurement service, we were having the opposite challenges. So it was like, hang on a minute, you want me to pay for this service? Like, you know, it was like, why, why would, why would I pay for you to just organize a couple of deliverers to come to my house and buy the products? It was literally like that. So then I'm always a big fan of try to make things as clear as possible. Try to work out how, why you are charging, what's the value, how much time is it going to save the customer? Um, and tell them all of that. So I started going through all the benefits and like how this is working, testing it, trialing it on every project. Um, and fast forward a year, we're just about to hire an actual procurement officer for the first time. Wow. So up till now, we've been doing it in-house. We've been doing it. Um, uh, it literally started with my operations manager who has never had any procurement experience. And I was like, can you just order the products and just send them <laughs> literally <laughs> like that? And then we started and, and it's so basically fast forward. It was only up to, um, when I decided to hire a procurement officer to deal with all of this, that I understood how much is actually involved because we started creating a set of standard procedures to go through and what needs to be done, um, how they would talk with the designer. When do they come in to the design? There's so much information. And then you've got to deal with, well, how do you deal with a purchase order and how do you deal with the returns? How do you pick a good, good enough supplier for your customers? So yeah. it's mind boggling. But, yeah. Um, and th th there's another reason why we did, we brought it in because there were companies and you will be surprised, Juliet, there's a couple of companies in London. I'm not going to name them, but the image that they give are that they're very high end and they have amazing products and their whole customer service is great. And you can order from them and everything is going to be great. You're not going to have a problem. But I was surprised. So we use this particular company for um, the bathroom, uh, high-end bathroom that we've done. Um, where, and, and what I'm calling high-end is like a 700 for a set of taps for the bath or faucet, faucet for the bath. Uh, I think the bath was something like 3,000, 3,500, something like that. Um, so, you know, a reasonable amount. Yeah. Uh, mid, mid to high. Yeah. And um, we ordered everything. And the first delivery come, 
only half of it came. Oh, no. <laughs> only half of it came. And then, the right half? <laughs> not in, in, in terms of first fix, second fix? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping, I don't know. <laughs> no. And then, um, then we opened, well, the contracts were opened up a box and it was meant to be a black tap, black faucet. Um, but it ended up being rose gold. So the whole thing had to be sent back. And then there was something to do with the bath waste, really delicate, beautiful bath waste, but like it arrived broken and then that had to be sent back. So in the end, backwards forwards, the project is in central London. So there's always like, arguments with the delivery guys i'm not going to take it up them stairs i'm not yep. going to park here there's double yellow lines all of this kind of stuff yep. um and just sometimes not turning up quite frankly and not even letting you know that they didn't make it that day that kind of thing so i'm just thinking like a customer doesn't want to deal with this you know yeah. like you don't want to deal with that and i don't think that they really understand how much is involved because i'm really I'm learning now how much is involved in terms of returns and stuff like that as well. So it's really, no, it's just surprising, you know, but do you have any experiences on procurement or anything to say that you, you feel um, backs me up? <laughs> I think I, I completely agree with everything that you've said. Okay. Um, I have never personally handled procurement, um, but my first job it was an architecture firm that had its own in-house interior designers. And luckily, just sort of out of chance, I sat next to um, like the, that whole section of desks that handled all the interiors. And so I heard them working hard all day long on the phone. It, it's, a, it's amazing how many phone calls and emails a single couch yeah. takes like it's granted this is like custom and whatever, but it's just, you're thinking in your head it's like, it's couch. How hard can it be? Yeah. Pretty hard. Like it's, I know it's, it's almost hard to explain, but I mean, if you think about a couch and then imagine like you take a saw and you cut through it, you know, and there's all these different parts to it. So every single part has a decision associated with it. Yeah. And then yeah. so, we're not, I mean, it's not, that couch is not living in my house. You know, it's living inside the client's house. And so ultimately it's the client's decision, you know, hopefully guided by our expertise. But so the client needs to make all those decisions with us, hopefully, but every single one of those decisions needs to be recorded, you know, and then that's just part of project management. And then again, like you're just saying, like purchase orders, lead times, especially if you're dealing with anything coming from, a country that takes the entire month of August off. August off. So I'm thinking anything from France, anything from Italy, like good luck. Like it's just not going to happen, no, you know? No. And then so it's, and then I, we've had things get held up in customs, you know? We've, yeah. it's, there is a, there's a ton of decisions and there's a ton of just like really, really unglamorous legwork that goes into procurement, making things making sure that it's the right things that show up at your house at the right time. 
And it's unglamorous. And so no one ever talks about it because it's not interesting. No one wants to hear about it. They just want to open the door and be like, oh, there you are with my stuff. Yeah. You know? And so, and I agree, that's the way it should work. And that's why we are here, you know, working on your behalf. But like, we don't talk about it because it's really boring. <laughs> but it is a, but it's a big part of the job. It's it a is. big part of the project management. And so, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I think it's a service that, I mean, if I ever had a major remodel <clears throat> on my home, I am not handling that. I don't have time for that. I like 100% being like, I'm going to hire someone to handle that because I'm busy handling all the other work that I have. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I think from, from, from a, um, it is boring in terms of the, the whole subject in, in what you need to do. Lots of phone calls, lots of emails, all of that kind of stuff. Um, for, for me, because I'm learning it right now, like the whole thing it is kind of exciting the way that it's, we're bringing it in and how um, we're being able to, to really help the customer out um, because then they literally have nothing to do, nothing apart from just enjoy the project but, um, and leave all of the, the arguing with delivery drivers and damages and returns and everything else to us. But the whole part about suppliers, because I get to choose all of the suppliers, so it's quite fascinating to actually speak to like companies in Turkey, in Italy, Spain, Germany, uh, just the products that are available out there is amazing. Yeah. Actually that part is really interesting. Like when you do work with a good supplier, especially if you're working with them directly, like you can learn so much about the actual product. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I've said it again and I'll say it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like there's, there's something learn. Like there's something new to learn every single day. Like there's, this is just such a huge, huge industry. You'll never get bored. No, no. Okay. I think we'll leave it there. This is probably, um, but it's, it's just to give a different side of what we're trying to do with the podcast. We're trying to give a more relaxed approach. Um, and just let it flow. I think uh, that was yeah. a good first attempt. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you very much. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy to use package of 10 documents, you're able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today.